0: R.J. Thomas was a Welsh uh, missionary to China who had a burden to share the gospel with the Korean people. On September 13th, 1865, he landed on the coast of Korea and immediately began immersing himself in the language and culture. He returned to China briefly, but his wife fell ill and Passed away. In 1866, he learned that an American boat, the General Sherman, was going to try to establish trade relations between Korea and the United States. So Mr. Thomas offered his services as an interpreter, hoping to have an opportunity to share the gospel with the Korean people. That August, the General Sherman Sailed up the Taedong River toward Pyongyang, but the ship became stuck in the mud, and the governor of the province led an attack against the ship. A two-week stalemate ensued until the Koreans launched a burning boat down the river, which caught the General Sherman on fire. As the sailors and as Robert fled from the burning ship, they were all executed. When he leapt from the boat, Robert yelled, Jesus, and he died with his Bible, his sword in his hand. Neither the power of the Americans nor the passion of Robert Thomas could conquer the hearts of the Koreans. But God worked. God worked in the heart of the man who executed R.J. Thomas. He was struck by by the beaming face of the man that he was killing. So he took Robert's Bible and brought it home with him, and he wallpapered his entire house with the word of God. And people came from all over the region to read God's word. Eventually, his nephew started a church in that place. And today, 40% of the population of South Korea are believers in Jesus. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It is the only hope for all people, but what a powerful hope that it is. Our passage this morning is the very last part of Ephesians six seventeen. but as has been our custom over the past few weeks, we'll begin reading in chapter 6 and verse 10 through our section. So here, brothers and sisters, hear the word of God, that is, hear the sword of the Spirit. Finally, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So Lord, would you lead us now? You've said earlier in Ephesians that it is through the church, it is through the church that you're you're, you're multicolored, you're... Manifold wisdom would be be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. And I pray, therefore, that our intentionality to glorify Jesus would redound in the spiritual realm. Lead us by the infinite power of your Holy Spirit, I pray now. In the name of Jesus, the reigning King of glory. Amen. So let's allow this this overarching truth to to fly like a banner over our time gathered together this morning. That truth is this. We can wield the sword of the Spirit with confidence. Confidence. Brothers and sisters, we can wield the sword of the Spirit with confidence in our daily spiritual battles because Christ Jesus has already won the spiritual war. Therefore, as we, as we get into our passage, I want to focus on three main emphases. One, readying ourselves for battle. Two, the nature of fighting in close combat. And then third, I want to emphasize celebrating our victor in war, namely Christ Jesus, our warrior king. Now, last week as David Kesterson taught us from the, from the first part of Ephesians six seventeen, he told us that when he began his training with the third infantry division when he was in the military. The first step in preparing his group for battle was actually learning. In this case, understanding the history of the famous standoff which earned them the nickname, the Rock of the Marne." You may recall if you were here last week that 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 as David was sharing the significance of their history, it moved him to tears. So as we consider the phrase, the sword of the Spirit. Let's begin our battle, our battle preparation by learning that is ensuring we understand the significance of this nickname, if you will, as well. Now, when when Patrick and when Art and Mitchell and David have worked through their passages here in Ephesians 6... One of the things that they did was they ensured that we understood what, what each piece of the armor was, what Paul meant by the terms belt of truth, or breastplate of righteousness, or shield of faith, or, or helmet of salvation. Well, if you look at the end of verse 17 here in chapter 6, you see that I got the good end of the deal, right? Right? The answer key is built into our verse. Take the sword of the Spirit. What is that? Which is the Word of God. See, the Bible interpretation is not always that hard. Sometimes it's pretty simple and straightforward. If the sword of the Spirit that we are to take up is the Word of God, then step one of getting ready for battle is to familiar, familiarize ourselves with our weapon and its power. To further know and to understand the power, the formidable power of this weapon, so that we might be confident to use it, to wield it in battle. Now, the word for for sword here in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Is is not the the long broadsword uh, that you think of, which is referenced sometimes biblically. You might think of Goliath's massive sword as a as a great example of a of a broadsword. Rather, it's 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 the shorter dagger that, that Romans, Roman soldiers carried around, and even other people of the day carried around. It was maybe twelve to eighteen inches or so in length, and it probably looked about like this or or was about this size. It was particularly useful in close combat, in, in hand-to-hand personal fighting. Other examples from Scripture. It was, it was a sword like this one that Peter used to cut off the ear of Malchus when Jesus was approached by the mob in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the type of sword that the Philippian jailer would have drawn When he went to kill himself, fearing that all the prisoners had escaped until until Paul and Silas said, No, we're all here. Put your sword away. And he did and asked, What must I do to be saved? Jesus said that Jerusalem would fall by the edge of a sword like this. Luke 21, 24. Perhaps most poignantly for our purposes, it's used twice. This word for sword is used twice to describe the word of God once here in Ephesians 6, 17, but also in Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The reality of the power unleashed when we share truth from, from this book, The reality of the power that is unleashed as the sword of the Spirit is wielded is so forceful and so effective that it hits its target every single time. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55 and verse 11. That is power. Oh, that we would understand the ability for the power of this word even to change human hearts. Nothing, nothing else in all creation can do that. But these words can be words of either either judgment or of, of comfort. So we must wield these words with wisdom. Prophesying of the one who was to come, Isaiah quotes the servant of the Lord. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, Isaiah 49 and verse 2. Of the rider on a white horse in Revelation nineteen fifteen, who also is Jesus, it is said, from his mouth proceeds a, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. As for God, his way is perfect. The, the word of the Lord is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Psalm 18 and verse 30. Therefore, judgment... And comfort are provided by God's word with, with equally stunning power. Not only is God's word power God's word powerful, it is, it is eternally enduring. So we can always, always be confident in its accuracy. God's word doesn't merely fall on the right side of history. God's word is the standard by which all of history will be judged. In Luke 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, ever pass away. Jesus' words are always, therefore, perfectly relevant. Jesus' words are perfectly accurate to address any issue in the church. To correct any error in the culture and to understand, to diagnose, and to heal any desire of the human heart at any time, in any place, in any context, in any age, whether in this current historical moment or in any age to come. So be confident. In the word of God. Therefore wield the sword of the spirit. With confidence. And with compassion. If the power of God's word. Alone. Was capable of penetrating the spiritual darkness. Of Korea with the light of the gospel. And it was God's word alone. The power of the Americans was burning up in the middle of the river. R.J. Thomas only got one word out. Jesus! But that one little word was enough. He died with his sword in his arms. And God and God alone, through the power of his word, converted half a nation that was in spiritual darkness. If God's power could, could turn back the waters of the Red Sea, we can be confident, we can be absolutely confident he can turn back the torrent of deceptive thought flowing through our nation today. Recall, brothers and sisters, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. As we wield the sword of the Spirit, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. Now, that was true 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it. And that is absolutely true today. And in 2,000 years from now, it will absolutely still be true. We can wield the sword of the Spirit with confidence, with supreme confidence in our daily spiritual battles because Christ Jesus has already won the spiritual battle. War. Now, it's a sobering realization that the imagery of the sword Paul chose was particularly useful in, in close personal combat. So just, just think of any sword fight you may ever have seen, whether it's in the movies or whatever. If lightsabers are the first thing that comes to mind, that's okay. It's fine for the illustration. The point is to realize that that a sword is both a defensive weapon used to block an opponent's actions, and it's an offensive weapon used ultimately to attack and to kill. This is extremely personal. Imagine what fighting looked like when one man has hold of another man's garment and each man has a dagger in their hand, and they are eye to eye. This isn't killing somebody with a drone from two continents away. This is in-your-face, hand-to-hand combat. Swords can be used both defensively and offensively. One commentator put it this way, Paul urges believers to know and make use of the scriptures as a means of defense against every form of demonic attack. At the same time, this weapon represents an appeal to the church to make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, an action that amounts to a major form of aggression against the kingdom of evil. The Spirit has not only supplied the scriptures to God's people, but dynamically empowers the words for maximum defensive and offensive impact. Word and spirit together. The very same spirit who inspired the scriptures to be written. Think about this with me. The very same Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures to be written so that in every way the words can can rightly be attributed to him, can, can rightly be described as his. He also takes those words and prompts believers to share them with others. And then he works in the hearts of people to accomplish the purpose for which the Father has sent forth his word in those hearers. Since the Spirit is so active in this process... Since these are literally his words, since he is doing the work of prompting you to share it, since he is active in the hearts of those who are receiving it, be confident in sharing the word. Never be ashamed to do so, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation for every single person who believes. The last several months have been strange. On a number of levels, but also in a variety of ways, exhausting. I can't tell you how many people are just kind of worn out with everything or just kind of over over it, right as you think about it. it. spiritually speaking though with with communion with other believers being more challenging, with just kind of the weight of everything that's happening in the culture and in our nation, it's easy for our hearts to find themselves in kind of a dull and dry place. But may may our glorious God revive our hearts with a renewed confidence in His Word and its effectiveness. Listen to the precision of God's Word to to diagnose our hearts and the power of God's Word to, to breathe life into our weary souls. Just, just from Psalm 119, hear the word of God. My, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Spirit, would you, would you make this a prayer for each one of us individually and for us as a body? This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am severely afflicted. Give me life according to your word. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your rules. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. God's Word has the power to resuscitate dead hearts and to awaken hearts that are dry and weary. The sharpness of the blade of the sword of the Spirit is, is like a scalpel that penetrates deeply to the, to the division of soul and of spirit to root out spiritual cancer and, and to promote lasting healing. The sharper the blade, the faster the healing comes when it is wielded with precision. In conversation with others, whether it's our kids or our co-workers or our families, our spouses or our friends, think about what's happening when we're fearful to share the Word of God in context. When we, when we share the truth of God's Word indirectly as opposed to directly when needed, or we share it sheepishly because we're afraid of offending or perhaps not fully confident in its power. When that happens, we dull the only instrument capable of penetrating the hearts of others in exactly the manner that they need it. May the Spirit restore our confidence in the Word of God. May God give us energy and perseverance to wield the sword of the Spirit with confidence and with compassion in every conversation. Psalm 119 verses 116 through 17, Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continuously. Brothers and sisters, we can wield the sword of the Spirit with confidence in our daily spiritual battles because Christ Jesus has already won the spiritual war. Now, we wield the sword of the Spirit in our corporate gatherings in order to strengthen us for these daily battles by celebrating our victor in war, namely Christ Jesus, who is our undefeated and eternally reigning champion. When we call our body to worship, so I want to think through this more precisely as a body because this is a theme I want us to understand when we gather together. When we call our body to worship, to worship the one true and living God, using a passage from God's Word. We are wielding the sword of the Spirit, calling our souls to attention, and we are making a declaration in the spiritual realm of our expressed purpose to honor the Father, Son, and Spirit as the only God worthy of our worship and allegiance. Now, imagine being a demonic being who was present and heard that, when we read the Word each Sunday, we are wielding the sword of the Spirit by bathing our souls in the Word so that the dirt and grime of the lies of the messaging of the world would be washed entirely away. When we preach from God's Word each Sunday, we are wielding the sword of the Spirit as a means of fortifying our souls for the battle and both exposing and renouncing the underhanded schemes of our enemy. When we celebrate the sacrament of communion as we did this very morning, we wield the sword of the Spirit by following the word. That is the command of our Savior to celebrate his atoning work on our behalf until he comes again in glory. What should happen when the people of God gather together? is that any demonic being who's anywhere near here should say, oh, here they go right out of the gate, reading the word of God, exalting in Jesus again. And then we have to listen to these songs again and again and again with the cross, again and again and again with the atoning blood of Jesus. This makes me sick. I can't stand being in here. That's exactly what should happen. If a demonic being is comfortable being in our presence as we gather to worship God, there's a problem. Evil should flee because they're sick to their stomachs for how intentionally and how joyfully we exult in the glory of Jesus. May that be true every single time we gather because this is a place where we make a declaration of war that Jesus and Jesus alone is king and Lord and our allegiance belongs to him and to him alone. So we're not just gathering to sing some songs that we like, right? We're gathering to sing, but worship is warfare. So then, when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together, as the body of Christ, we wield the sword of the Spirit by exulting in the greatness of the glory of God and the redeeming work of Jesus on our behalf. When we gather to sing songs that exult in biblical truth as the body of Christ, singing is both worship and warfare. From the moment, from the very moment we announce our specific intention at the call to worship, to the seeking of the Lord in prayer, to the joyous exaltation of the preached word, to the heartfelt singing of the people of God, to the very final words of our benediction, when we again wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our desire is to exhort the people of God to be obedient to God through the power of the Holy Spirit as they trust in Jesus by faith. There is no other motivation. That puts the spiritual realm on notice. The heartfelt singing of the people of God. As expressions of our need for God while we sing biblical truth. As an expression of our longing for God. As an expression of our love for God. As an expression of our thankfulness to God for who He is and the majestic beauty of His character and for who He is in terms of what He's done for us in Christ When we sing, we are singing to encourage not just our own souls, we are singing to encourage one another, even as the spiritual realm is put on notice. I I can't tell you how many times I've been here in the front, moments before coming to stand here to proclaim the word of God. And been struggling. And then I hear the voice, I hear the voice of one of my brothers or sisters in Christ singing that is exulting in the truth about God, and it emboldens my heart. And I rise, I stand and come here, and by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, have the strength to proclaim the good news of the gospel once again. This is the effect of the people of God singing. It doesn't matter how well you sing. It doesn't matter how poorly you sing. I love hearing your distinctive voices singing praise to God. Here is a person that I know, that I love and respect, and they're rejoicing in Jesus. That strengthens my soul. Worship is warfare. Jesus, our Lord, wielded the sword of the Spirit even unto death. He quoted Psalm 22. He quoted Psalm 22 from God's Word, wielding the sword of the Spirit to fortify his own soul. Even as he was in the act of redeeming us from our sins. With his last words he said. Father. Forgive them. Jesus wielded the sword of the spirit. Up until he took his last breath. It was on the cross that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. When he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Colossians 2.15. Therefore. Because our enemy has been disarmed, we can wield the sword of the Spirit with confidence in our daily spiritual battles because Christ Jesus has already won the spiritual war. So would you pray with me, and then would you sing with me? Let's pray. Father, would you lead us by your Spirit now? I pray that that even as we sing truths now from your word, that confidence would arise in our souls, knowing that your word is truth and your word is life. So breathe life into our souls now, Holy Spirit, even even as we sing, so that we would be built up in our faith, so that the spiritual realm would be put on notice about our intentionality to honor you, and so that, Father, Son, and Spirit, you would be greatly glorified in our midst. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.